Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation, and welcome to another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast, Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman, as always, to be joined by my partner, Stanford Routen. Stanford, it's April. It's an exciting time of year. We got the draft. Usually we have spring practice, and this year, 1AA is still playing. And if I'm not mistaken, your high school football team is going to begin spring practice shortly, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. They're going to be starting up real soon. Uh, I believe we start on May 3rd, so that'll be a week from this coming Monday. Definitely fired up. Can't wait for another great season. Well, after the draft, we got, you know, some fans act like their team won the Super Bowl and others just <laughs> down in their, you know, their own misery because they can't figure out what their team just did. And, you know, if you're curious about your team's chances of winning the Super Bowl or the latest over-under win totals, and you should head to bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. By the way, Stanford, the Raiders win total is seven and a half. And you got to remember it's 17 game season. So yeah. seven and 10, eight and nine. Ouch. Ouch. I mean, I, I think that's a little bit uh, understated right there. I think they're going to win more than uh, seven games. You look at last year, there were so many close games that they should have won. If they didn't, the Miami Dolphins game, Saturday night football right after Christmas, the Thursday night right before that, losing to the Los Angeles Chargers, losing to the Kansas City Chiefs in that heartbreaker up there at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. That's three games right there that just, if the defense simply has their head out of their ass, then <laughs> those, are, those are three victories right there. So I think that um, you got Derek Carr coming back for another year in this John Gruden offense. You got Josh Jacobs another year. Darren Waller another year going to be more acclimated to this offensive scheme. They're going to use him a whole lot more. I just I cannot see the Raiders only winning seven games, especially out of 17. But I understand it. The odds makers, they got to make their money, things like that. I understand it. So take that with a grain of salt. Well, bet online. Stanford says you should move it up to 10. So whatever it is, bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag. Or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Stanford. So I just talked about fans and how they react to their team's draft. And it's, let's face it, it's usually the same thing during the season. They'll overreact based on whatever their team results are. But how do players react, Stanford? And Bill from LA wants to know from you. What was it like in that Raiders locker room following a win or a loss? Well, I'll first start off with after a win. And Bill from L.A., kudos to him because there's a lot of things that happened in my time in Oakland. Happened in my time just playing football, period, in the league that I never really voiced. There was a lot of things simply because what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room, all things like that. 
But, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm getting to a point where, you know what, I can go ahead and kind of peel back the layers a little bit. So I'll go ahead and do that right now. Uh, after a win, obviously, it's a great feeling because you won the game. And then the better the opponent, that's just the better the feeling, uh, especially if it's against a divisional opponent. Let me think here. I remember when we beat the Chiefs, who actually won the division back in 2010. That was one game. Let me think of another one. When we beat, I think it was the Philadelphia Eagles back in 2009. That was Several, at home uh, in Oakland, that Philadelphia game. I remember that. That was an upset. Big upset. Exactly. Exactly. I can remember several times, maybe before that, I remember we beat the reigning champion, Pittsburgh Steelers, in 2006, although it was a down year for them. Let me think here. Uh, Is there music being played? Or are you guys, what are you guys doing in there? Is this guy sticking around longer? Or what? Give me a little, paint the picture for me. I wouldn't really go that far as far as staying around longer, especially like I said, obviously if it's an away game, we all got to get on the plane. Sure. But definitely the vibe on the plane is much more pleasant after a victory. So whenever you lose, you'd much rather lose at home than an away game, because especially if you didn't play good or let's say you made key mistakes in the game, you now have to be on the plane with your teammates and your coaches flying back. So they may walk past you in the aisle and they may kind of like, you know, cut their eyes at you some, or something like that. And you already know what they're thinking because you messed up in the game. So obviously it's not the best feeling, but I will say this as far as the losses. And I'm now man enough to admit it out loud. We had such a downtrodden mentality for certain years in Oakland where after a loss, it would be as light and it would be as light and as upbeat as if we won. Because there are especially certain times in the season, we get to a point to where, okay, we already know that we're not set up to win. Let's make sure that we make it look good on the film and just show that we're playing hard and we're not giving, we're not giving, we're not giving some sort of uh, of an abbreviated level of effort. We're still giving high effort, things like that. But we know we're probably gonna lose. So after the game, when you lose, like you're not completely distraught because you pretty much were expecting that anyways. You don't have to mention any Is there ever any fights in the locker room after a loss or maybe even after a practice were kind of boiled over into the locker room? I wouldn't go as far as say any fights, but I definitely do distinctly remember one time where we had an elder player on our team and he was pretty much kind of like the captain. He was, uh, he, was, he was the big dog. We all looked up to him. And we had a younger player who... He was uh, talented, didn't always have uh, his head in the right place, but it is supremely talented. And I remember it was a time where I think we were all, we were all getting ready to go to get, come together. And uh, it was an all up type of situation where we're getting ready to, you know, basically break the, the huddle in the locker room and then go downstairs, go out to play. I forget whether it was pregame or halftime, but anyways, the younger player was still over there at his locker, fiddling around with something, listening to music. I'm not sure. And the older player basically, you know, yelled at him like, hey, like, get your ass over here. And it almost came to a physical altercation. Obviously, it didn't. But that's one time that, uh, that really comes to mind. But we really didn't have many fights in the locker room. Maybe if you were on the field during training camp, things like that, we pretty much knew that we weren't set up to win. So we didn't have a lot of fights because it just wasn't that deep for a lot of people on the team because we pretty much kind of knew going into the season, okay, we're probably going to go seven and nine, six and 10, eight and eight, maybe something like that, but we're probably not going to win the division. And so let's just go ahead, play hard, make it look good. Hmm. 
Well, let's hope that the Raiders get set up to win with the upcoming draft. Uh, last week after you and I did our podcast, they released uh, Maurice Hurst, which I was a little bit surprised by Stanford and then Arden Key. And that one to me was a long time coming. So, you know what? I, I took a look at John Gruden's draft since 2018, the three drafts, 18, 19, and 20 Stanford. So I'm going to begin with 18. We got our first round pick is Colton Miller. I can't go, you can't go wrong with that. People thought it was a little bit of a reach. It's been a good pick, but then second round pick PJ Hall, Sam Houston state cut third round pick tackle Brandon Parker backup at best fourth round pick Nick Nelson cut Maurice Hurst fifth rounder cut another fifth rounder Johnny Townsend cut Azim Victor don't even remember him gone and then Marcel Aitman seventh round pick 20 receptions that's 2018 Stanford all those guys are cut I mean that's like a if it wasn't for Colton Miller that's like a D plus draft it's probably an F if if it isn't for Colton Miller Mm mm-hmm and then you look at 2019, they have Clay Farrell, probably a reach at four. Josh Jacobs, I think, has been a very good pick at running back. Jonathan Abram, jury's still out, man. Trayvon Mullen, second rounder. I think he's a solid two. I don't think he's a number one. Then you got Max Crosby, your boy. I think that was a steal at four, in the fourth round. Yes, Isaiah Johnson, also in the fourth round. I think the jury is still out. Then Foster Moreau, the tight end. I think he's going to end up a steal. Hunter Renfro in the fifth round is a steal. And then the seventh rounder, Quentin Bell. And then 2020 last year, we got Henry Ruggs, who I think it was a little bit of a stretch, Stanford. But I think, you know, I think the offense, especially John Gruden, they got to do a better job of utilizing him. Yes. You know, Damon Arnett, I think it's a little bit of a reach, but let's face it, injury plagued and inconsistent. So let's see. Lynn Bowden was traded during training camp last year, and that was a third round pick. Third round pick, Tanner Muse. He didn't even play because he was hurt. Fourth round pick, John Simpson, appeared in seven games, started two. I mean, these draft classes, it doesn't give me a lot of optimism going into the 2021 draft. And I feel like also Stanford, the Raiders have been better in the back half of the draft than they have been at the top of their draft classes. Yeah, Dennis, you know who you just described? You just described Bill Belichick's drafts. Imagine this. Imagine this. Okay. You're the Patriots owner. Right. You're the Robert Kraft. Exactly. (laughs) Would you fire Bill Belichick? Oh, my gosh, no. Because you look at the track record, all the Super Bowl wins and all the seasons. So, so when we look at the last three years, the Oakland slash Las Vegas Raiders, their draft has been no different than the New England Patriots. Only difference is the Patriots have the history and they have the accolades to go ahead and buy them some equity within the fan base, within Robert Kraft, things like that. So all I'm basically saying is, fellas, this draft thing is not an exact science. It's a crapshoot. And also, with that being said, when you look at the, like you just said, the Trayvon Mullins, the Jonathan Abrams, the uh, the guy, that, the P.J. Hall from Sam Houston State that got already has been cut, the Arden Keys, you have to be very cognizant and very mindful whenever you think of players because – where you get drafted to, a.k.a. the scheme, the system, the coaches, the organization that's in place, has oftentimes just as much of a bearing over your success and how you look as a player as your ability to play football. So while we're going to work, who pulling all these players about this guy not panning out, this guy, you know, things like that, we also have to remember that could simply be 
not even necessarily bad drafting. That could be coaches not putting them in positions to be successful. That could also be something that very well could uh, be uh, be at play here. Now, I don't have any prior knowledge to go ahead and just cast a blatant aspersion like that, but I'm just simply saying I've seen in the past in experiences where teams I've been on where a player was actually pretty good, but because the coaches didn't set him up the right way, he never was able to show it. So I just want to go and say that I think that it's a collective effort. I think it's the management not necessarily drafting the right player. I think it's coaching not necessarily putting the right put the putting the player in the best position to be successful, and also a little bit of the player maybe not dedicating himself, maybe not being in his playbook as much as he should, things like that. I think it's all three phases that actually at times fail when a player doesn't pan out or when he's a bust. But Stanford, because of the Raiders' lack of success for, say, since basically 2002, they've been in the playoffs once, this stuff is magnified, right? Yeah, no question. It's definitely magnified. Whenever you don't win, everything gets magnified. I remember plenty of times, like, where if you're on a two- or three-game losing streak, like, and one of the trainers doesn't have the water bottles, like, set out at practice on time, then it's a ball because this is why we're losing because, you know, the trainers aren't putting the water out on time and things like that. They're not out there tackling or catching the ball or kicking field goals. But, yes, you're right. Whenever you lose, everything is magnified. Whenever you win, everything is basically smoothed over with a whole bunch of manure and BS, things like that. So I think that, yeah, once the Raiders get back to their winning ways, then a lot of this will be smoothed over. And I think that when you look across the board, um, once you get – Past, I think maybe 20, once you get past 20, the degree or the difference in a person that was drafted number 21 overall, the difference between them and someone who was drafted number 44 is not that, it's not that large. It really is. It may be to a fan. It may be to a prognosticator, to an aficionado, as far as somebody who loves to watch the game from a name appeal from a vanity aspect, because one guy went to Ohio State, another guy may have went to Sam Houston State. But other than just the overall vanity, the the provocative, the sex appeal of the name or maybe the school he went to, it's not that much of a difference when it comes down to actually who's a better player and their abilities. Where it makes the difference is that team putting him in a position to be successful versus running a 3-4 scheme or a 4-3 scheme, maybe he's better suited at. A cover two scheme versus maybe a cover three scheme or man covered scheme for a corner or some, you know, strong safety in the box, something like that. So I think we got to be very mindful. But nonetheless, like, like to your point, Dennis, whenever the team does not win, everything is magnified to the nth degree. Okay, last question on this topic, and you brought something up. You said there's not much of a difference between player selecting the first round at 21 and maybe the second round 44. Is the big drop-off then in talent maybe between the fourth and fifth round, Stanford, or is it the fifth and sixth round? Where where would you say the drop-off is more so noticeable, or is there? I think it's I think it's clearly a drop-off. Pretty much once you go from uh, round one and you're comparing round one to like round five or six or seven, sure. yeah. I mean, the first round is the first round is typically in preseason or somewhere during their rookie season. They're going to give you a aha. Uh-huh. That's why they drafted him in the first round. Cause you know, he's really fast or he's really elusive or he's got great hands or if he's a quarterback, he's got a, a cannon for an arm, something like that. If it's a linebacker, he just has a nose for the ball where he can always go and sift and go from side to side, scrape things like that. But 
the thing is, and, and, and I remember Mike Tomlin said this years ago, in this league, on every team, you got about one to two. The really good teams, you might have about three to four, what he calls aliens. And what he means by that is, okay, these guys are just, they're just good. <laughs> I can put them in any scheme. I can do whatever I want with them. They're just a player. They're, they're a beast. They're a dog. They're, they're just an alien. They're a freak of nature. But the other 97, 96% of the guys on the team, they probably got to be in the right scheme, be in the right setting, the right situation for them to be successful. And it's the same way for a lot of the draft. The same way you got Trevor Lawrence, stud quarterback. We all know that. That's why he's going number one overall. He's been, he's been projected to go number one overall ever since he was a freshman at Clemson. But everybody else, everybody else in this draft, you mess around here and you put them in a bad situation. You put them in the wrong organization, the wrong scheme. Yes, I'm talking about Justin Fields. I'm talking about Zach Wilson. I'm talking about uh, Mac Jones. I'm talking about Trey Lance. I'm talking about everybody else, uh, Jamar Chase, whatever. You take all those other guys and you put them in a scheme that does not, is not conducive for their skill set, and they will underperform. They're not going to be a bust, but they're going to underperform. So I think People need to always remember that so much of your success in the NFL is contingent upon where you get drafted, the coach, the scheme, things like that. All right. I got to read this sponsorship to keep everybody happy. And then uh, you and I are going to do a little three-round mock Raider draft. But first off, I know you wear some kind of sunglasses, Stanford, and uh, it's time to make our outdoor experiences better with Canaan. Canaan sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics that make their lenses clearer, lighter, and stronger. And they're Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. Use the exclusive code CANONCAST15 at K-A-E-N-O-N dot com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's CANONCAST15. Canon, clearly better. All right, Stanford. So would you like to put on your GM hat? Would you like to play the role of... Uh, Mike Mayock, and would you like to go first with your first round pick, and then I will go, or do you want me to go first, or how would you like to proceed? I'll go ahead and uh, give you my first pick. Okay. Pick number 17 of the first round in the 2021 NFL Draft. The Las Vegas Raiders select Micah Parsons out of Penn State, linebacker. Now, see, that's who they. I think they should take, and I, I agree with you. Okay, I do. I think they should address the defensive side of the ball. But here's what I think the way that, unfortunately, Gruden is thinking and the way that Mike Mayock is thinking, and I think they're going to go offense, and I think they're going to go right tackle. I really do. Mm. They're going to take the kid out of Virginia Tech, Christian Derisaw. He's six foot five. He is a good size over on that right side. He replaces Trent Brown. I think he gave up maybe three pressures uh, in his senior season at Virginia Tech. So I love your pick, Stanford, but I really believe they are going offensive tackle with that first overall pick at 17. All right, so let's move on to the second round. And who do you have the silver and black taking in round number two? In round number two, pick number 48, the Las Vegas Raiders select Richie Grant, safety, UCF, University of Central Florida. 
Wow, that's amazing. You and I are not too far off on our picks. I actually have him going third. So my second round pick might be a little bit of a reach, Stanford. And it's the kid out of Miami. It's Gregory Rousseau. And the reason why I'm hoping that he slips to the second round because he only really played in 2019. Uh So he opted out of 2020. But in 2019, I mean, you look at these numbers, Stanford, I mean, 15 and a half sacks. 19 and a half tackles for loss. And he only played one game in 28 teams. So I'm hoping teams are like, look, we're a little scared because we only got one year of film on him. And that was 2019. So we're going to stay away. I'm hoping he slips to the second round and I hope he slips to the Raiders. It's probably wishful thinking, but that's where I would love to see it happen. Dennis, in this draft, you got Trey Lance, who's only had 17 career starts. And he's going to be going anywhere from where three to 15 or something like that. So in this generation of the NFL draft, lack of experience, lack of of, of a certain number of games started, a certain number of games played, things like that on the collegiate level is not as premium or it's not as demanded as it once was. So you might be a little bit, like you said, wishful thinking, thinking that he's going to be on the board for that long because we all know in this league, pass rushers, they're, they're golden. And if you can get after the quarterback, regardless of if you have some requisite number of starts or games played and they see you, oh, yeah, they're most likely going to come after you. All right. So let's move on to the third and final round of our 2021 mock draft. And let's hear the pick as announced by former Raider Stanford Rouse. And pick number 79, the Las Vegas Raiders select Landon Dickerson. Offensive lineman, Alabama. All right, so you're addressing that right tackle spot in the third round. Okay, all right. Now, see, I kind of already gave mine away, but I'm going to go with the safety out of UCF, Richie Grant. And I thought this was interesting. He played almost 3,000 snaps, Stanford. I mean, that is a lot of football in college. And then he's also an outstanding – he's a versatile safety. He can also play against the run as well, which, like you said, in Gus Bradley's scheme – you want to bring that safety up, right? To play closer to the line of scrimmage. Is that absolutely correct? absolutely? You want to have him close in the box, almost playing the same type of position, the same type of responsibility that you remember Cam Chancellor lowered the boom, legion of boom for the Seattle Seahawks for so many years. Somebody that can go ahead and they can protect that middle. If you see a crosser, you knock him on his butt. You also can go up there and fill in the run game, things like that. If it's an errant throw, if it's maybe a tip ball at the line of scrimmage, you see a Cam Chancellor picking the pass off against the Carolina Panthers in that playoff game, taking it all the way to the house, things like that. So definitely being able to play up close to the box, that's something that Gus, that Gus Bradley, that's what he made famous in Seattle for so many years, creating that legion of boom cast that we all remember so well and we revere for so well. Hey, I want to follow up on something you said earlier, and I think this draft is unique, Stanford, is that a lot of guys did not play last year. I mean, you just mentioned Trey Lance. He's played, what, maybe 17 games? I think he got one. I just won. Gregory Rousseau. Jamar Chase, the outstanding receiver at LSU, he opted out last year as well. So a lot of these guys haven't played in maybe four or 500 days. Yeah. You think that's going to impact teams and selecting these guys in any way, or you know what, just throw it out the window. We're going to go based everything on 2019. I think that uh, 2020 obviously was a different year. You got Caleb Fairley. 
he went ahead. He was the first one to opt out, I think, of all the players in NCAA. He's going to be a first-round pick. Just depends on who he goes to. I think that, obviously, 2020, pandemic, coronavirus, it's a different year, so you got to pivot. you got to be able to be fluid. you got to just roll with the punches because things are going to be different. Jamar Chase, he opted out. He's not gonna, it's not gonna affect his draft stock at all. Um, and I think that the old rookie wage scale, the Alex Smith, Mario Williams, the Sam Bradford eras, my era, when the first rounders are getting large sums of money before right. they even play it down to football, that that right there will give GMs more of a cause to pause as far as drafting a guy that, oh, he didn't play last year. Maybe he maybe he's still got some rust on him. Who knows, et cetera, et cetera. But in this generation, where there's pretty much a cap on the rookie wage scale, and the first, the number one overall pick, what's four years, thirty million, something like that, and then obviously it trickles all the way down. You're not going to see GMs, owners, coaches as nervous. They're not going to be as apprehensive because you know what. If we wind up drafting him and he doesn't pan out, it's not as big of a financial hit as it would have been in the old rookie wage scale. So that's why you're seeing guys from smaller schools get drafted higher because it's not as big of a risk financially as it once was. And then on top of that, the salary cap has been ballooning pretty much every year since 2012, 2011, things like that. I think that uh, when you add all of those factors in, that's also why you're not going to see these players who held out or opted out, you're not going to see that held against them and it affect their draft status that much in a week um, in a week from tomorrow. Hey, Stanford, I saw that the NFL is relaxing their number policy yes. on a lot of different positions. I know you wore 26, so if oh, you could go God. back, would you still wear 26 or would you change? Number, my college number, number eight, that's what I would have switched to. I saw that earlier today and I just thought, uh, <laughs> It, you know, and I've obviously like older players, like, I mean, like Deion Sanders, one that comes to mind right now, like they are so, we, we are so envious. I'm not going to say jealous, envious of this generation of, of, of football players in the NFL. Play. But as far as like the Jersey number, like I said, obviously it's basically for the, the skill guys, for the receivers, the running back, the quarterback, obviously the linebackers and the defensive back offensive line and defensive line are still pretty much boxed in to their respective brackets. Uh, that they have to stick within as far as the numbers go. And I was just thinking about this earlier when I when I was about to go work out. And it's going to be the running backs and the defensive backs that really take advantage of this. Because for receiver, it's been that way for probably about 15 years where receivers can wear a number in the teens. Like you got DeAndre Hopkins, his number is number 10. Right. Uh, Odell Beckham, his is number 13. So for receivers, they've had some leeway for a while. But the defensive backs and those running backs and the linebackers a little bit, but the DBs, look out. <laughs> you're going to see so many single digits out of the DBs. Like, you're going uh, to be out there wondering, like, okay, why does why safety have a quarterback uh, number right now? It's going to take some getting used to. So uh, the, the defensive backs, because, you know, we're divas. Like, we got to be seen by everybody. We got to make sure that we look sweet in our uniform. I can remember so many times where I got fined because I didn't want to wear any white 
uh, within my socks. I just wanted to wear the all all black uh, leggings. Yep. Like so, trust me, DBs are the ones who are going to take advantage of it the most. Hey, I want to go back to the draft for one second. I got a little surprise for you. Okay, just hang tight Uh-oh. for what? Yeah, for one second. Uh oh. And I went online and I found. Stanford route, the scouting report on you coming out of college. I'm going to read this to you, okay? You ready? Uh, I'm pretty sure I've already heard it, uh, but yeah, but yeah, but go, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. A former track star with outstanding speed has good footwork and quickness and can close on the ball, is effective in man coverage, mirrors his receiver well is tall, well-built, and can jam, but doesn't have great football instincts, bites on hard double moves, will get down on himself, misses tackles, must generally improve in the mental aspects of the game. Stanford, what do we think about that? How accurate was that coming coming out of you? That was somewhat accurate, but it just, but see, and this is, and it's so funny because you see the same thing happen with certain with other players, and I'll go ahead and get to them after I explain what I'm about to say. You will oftentimes have guys, scouts, that'll just basically go ahead and rubber stamp something because of okay, well, a player came out of this school maybe a couple of years ago, and this is kind of the write-up on him. So I'm just gonna go ahead and assume the same thing. So it's funny because I have good hips, good footwork, good speed, I can jam good. Good in man coverage, but yet I don't have great, what was it, football IQ or great instincts or whatever. I buy no double moves. It's interesting. My last year of college, I led NCAA in tackles for corners, but I don't tackle well. (laughs) And my senior year, I didn't get beat on any touchdowns the entire year, but yet I buy no double moves. (laughs) And then, and then, and then this is the biggest misconception about me, that I was a track guy. I started running track in seventh grade to get faster for football. <laughs> but the once, like I said, once again, whenever something seems like it fits in a box, people just roll with it, with it because, you know, that's just how it seems. Okay, you know what? Those dots kind of connect, so I'll just go ahead and say that. But I, I remember that coming out, and that couldn't have been the furthest thing from the truth was, A, I wasn't a track guy. I was, foot, I was a football player who had a, enough speed to run track. Double moves is something I never got beat on in all of my years in college. As far as tackling, I did have tackling issues my first couple of years. I did, no doubt about that. Senior year, I definitely that was something I wanted to work on. I wound up leading NCAA in tackles as a senior. I had 62. Mind you, I didn't get thrown at much. And even when I did get thrown at much, they definitely weren't catching much. And I got beat on no touchdowns. So how is he missing tackles if he leads the NCAA in tackles, doesn't get thrown at often, so it's not like he's getting beat on a slant or dig or post. Like, how does all that, how does all that work? So like I said, you know, there's obviously inconsistencies pretty much in a lot of draft scouting reports. I'll use a couple of years ago. They said that uh, Dwayne Haskins was a mobile quarterback. Anybody who watched Ohio State's games could tell that Dwayne Haskins was a statue. He didn't run. Now, 
black quarterback. Oh, black quarterbacks typically run a lot. So you know what? He's a mobile quarterback. I mean, I understand that ignorant narrative. I get it. But that's not the truth. But oftentimes, scouts will go and just kind of rubber stamp something because, okay, this just kind of seems like what the narrative should be. So I'm going to go ahead and write that down. All right. Speaking of quarterbacks, and you mentioned him earlier, uh, Trevor Lawrence made some headlines because of something that he said in Sports Illustrated. I'm going to read it for our audience who is not familiar with it. And this is what he said, quote, it's not like I need football for my life to be okay. I want to do it because I want to be the best that I can. I want to maximize my potential. Who wouldn't want to? You kind of waste it if you don't. It's hard to explain that because I want people to know that I'm passionate about what I do and it's really important to me. But I don't have this huge chip on my shoulder that everyone's out to get me and I'm trying to prove everybody wrong. I just don't have that. I can't manufacture that. I don't want to. Stanford, what do you think about uh, Lawrence, that statement? I love that statement that he made because it just goes to show this generation is different than ours and the ones before that. Uh, this generation is more about I'm a brand. I'm not a football player. I'm so much more than a football player. I, I have so many different things that I want to do with my life. I don't want to just be a great football player. So I love that he's bold enough to go ahead and just speak his mind. That's number one. His retraction, I wish he probably would have went ahead and just been like, you know what? I said what I said. If you want to take it out of context, you know what? F you. Now, even though I love it, this is where I wonder about it. And I say this because I do believe in life, not in football, not just in basketball, in life. The people that really, really reach a certain level of success, like the stratosphere of success, or should I say a different stratosphere, those guys, there's something that's burning inside them, something. And when you look at Trevor Lawrence, obviously he's been the number one rated quarterback since he was, what, 14 years old? So he's just been, he's just been proving everybody right in all of their assessment of him. So that's why he doesn't hate anybody. There's nobody that he wants to prove wrong, things like that. I mean, Dennis, look what you just listed about my draft, about my, uh, my draft scouting report. Like, I do believe to reach a certain level of success, you have to have something burning inside. Doesn't mean you have to have to, it doesn't mean you have to hate your high school coach or you don't want to, you know, prove that, that, uh, that blogger or that columnist wrong and put it in their face. But there has to be something burning inside you. And I say that because let's go ahead and just kind of go down the list right now. Obviously, Tom Brady, best quarterback ever. Right. Tom Brady wasn't even a second round pick. Sixth round. Yeah, exactly. He wasn't even a third round pick. Drew Brees, one of the, owns so many records. Second rounder. UT, right where he's from, Austin, Texas, my hometown. They didn't recruit him. AM didn't recruit him. He right. had to go all the way up to Purdue, which is a, a, a basketball school. So when I and then he goes to San Diego, they win the division in 2004. Doesn't matter. You know what? We got uh, Philip Rivers, who's got the big strong arm. He's from North Carolina. And, you know, we just kind of like him. So even though you went to the Pro Bowl and even though you won the division, we're still going to push you out the door. You know, because we think your damage good. Aaron Rodgers sitting right there on draft day, my year, in the green room at the draft up there in New York and has the camera in his face. He has to wait, was it, 23 picks to hear his name called. And what I'm simply saying is 
the best tight ends in football right now. You can list them in whatever order. Kelsey, Kittle, Waller. You can list them in whatever order you want to. Kelsey, third rounder, correct? Kittle, I believe second, third, fourth rounder, fifth. What point is he wasn't the first rounder. Right. And then and then Waller, I mean, he's literally had to climb out of the the abyss that so many people wanted to put him in due to certain certain issues that he had. And now look at him, rolling out of control. So what I'm all I'm simply saying is there's very few people in history, especially within this league, that were the number one overall pick. They lived up to the hype. They lived up to the status, this and the other, that did not have any bumps in the road. There wasn't anybody they had to prove wrong or a chip on their shoulder, things like that. So I think that in success in life, there has to be something that burns you. It has to be something. Uh, and typically, the people that don't have something to burn typically do not wind up being as successful as others. Doesn't mean they won't be, but they typically don't tend to be as successful as somebody else. So I love it because he's willing to own himself. I love that. You got to be a man. Something my dad always taught me, you got to be a man. Whatever you say, stand on it. I'm going to tell you why I'm okay with his comments. And I'm going to read you these numbers. In three years at Clemson, completed 67% of his passes, Stanford. Mm -hmm. For more than 10,000 yards, including 90, 90 touchdowns and just 17 interceptions. Freshman year, Clemson wins the national title. Sophomore year, they lose in the title game. And then last year, they lost in the semifinal. I mean, Stanford, those numbers and that success speaks for itself that this kid can play and that he loves football. He reminds me a little bit of Andrew Luck, who was, we knew he was going to be the number one pick when he was at Stanford. A well-rounded kid, grew up in Europe, came over to the States, lived in Houston, as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah he went to high school in Houston, then to Stanford. We knew this was a well-rounded guy that was an outstanding football player. He was the number one pick. And you know what? He was a very good starting NFL quarterback. But unfortunately, he had offensive lines that couldn't protect probably you and I. And he got the hell beat out of him. And he was forced to retire because he knew there was more stuff out there. And he's just a well-rounded person. And I feel like that's what Trevor Lawrence is as well. These are well-rounded people. Yes, football is very important to them. Yes, they're very good at it. And I believe Andrew Luck would have won a Super Bowl and been a Hall of Famer. I really do if he didn't have to suffer all those injuries. And I feel like Trevor Lawrence can follow in his footsteps and he can be successful. I know Jacksonville, that franchise is a little bit questionable, but maybe it's going to be turned around, especially I know with Urban Meyer, I'm going to be open-minded with Urban Meyer and a fresh start there. And with Trevor Lawrence, let's see what happens. But like I said, I'm okay with what he says based on his track record. Now, I love everything you just said, Dennis. Let me ask you this. Right now, the Indianapolis Colts fan base, would they say Andrew Luck underperformed or exceeded the expectations of him being the number one overall pick coming in back in 2012, being the heir apparent to Peyton Manning, things like that? Sure. Would, the, would the fan base, would they say over or under as far as he met expectations? I think as a Colts fan, you could say when he was healthy, he met them and probably exceeded them. 
But the problem was the talent around him wasn't good enough. And the result was he had a shortened career. Yes, true. That's, that's your level-headed way of articulating it. <laughs> but from a fan standpoint, just like, hey, we, hey, we know how Red Nation is. <laughs> just, but from a fan standpoint, what do you think they would say? That he underperformed. He didn't live up to expectations. Exactly. And not because he wasn't a fantastic quarterback. Bobby Andrews was a stud. He was a baller. No doubt about it. But when you're the number one overall pick, you got to be taking us to the NFC AFC title game. You got it like that's what you're expected to do when you're the number one overall pick. Not first rounder, number one overall pick. Like I said, I loved Andrew Luck's quarterback. I, I was really disappointed whenever he retired. I understood why, but just the selfish side of me, I love watching the guy play because I think he's fantastic, and he's from Texas. I ride with all guys from Texas. So what I'm simply saying is, going back to Trevor Lawrence, he went to Clemson, won national title, get one national title as freshman, uh, lost in the national title game to Joe Burrow second year, and his sophomore year, and then third year lost to Ohio State in the semis. Fantastic, bro. I love that about him. Now I'm going to ask you this question. When he goes to Jacksonville a week from tomorrow, what position on the offensive side of the ball will you be able to definitively, without even opening your eyes, as definitively as you can say, Sunday comes after Saturday, where Trevor Lawrence will have the better player than the guy across from him anywhere on the Jacksonville Jaguars offense? It's going to probably be far and few between. But this- and that. Go ahead. But this is one thing I will say, and hopefully Urban Meyer is smart enough, and I know the Colts did this when they drafted Peyton Manning number one. Please get Trevor Lawrence a good starting left tackle, please. No doubt about it. Please. Joe Burrow's case, look at Joe Burrow. Their offensive line in Cincinnati, not good. He doesn't even survive the season. And now everybody's saying, what do the Bengals got to do in the first round? Get that starting left tackle, the kid out of uh, Oregon. I'm blanking on his name, but uh, that's who everybody says they need to get. So whatever, now, they, whatever they do, whatever the Jags do, get a starting left tackle who can protect his blind side. No, no doubt about it. So then we go to the skill guys. At Clemson, you got Ross, you got Etienne in the backfield, things like that. So you're always, you all, just like Justin Fields at Ohio State, Mac Jones at Alabama, your receiver is just simply better than the DB he's going to be going against. So you don't even have to really be accurate. I could use Sam Bradford back in 2010. He was the number one overall pick. Won the Heisman Trophy, Oklahoma, throwing all the touchdowns, this, that, and the other. We played the uh, St. Louis Rams week two of the, uh, of the regular season. Right. I pick, I pick him up in the fourth quarter. <laughs> because, once again, you're, not, you're no longer playing on a team where, okay, my receiver is just better than that DB. So I don't have to worry about – manipulating the safety. I don't got to worry about making sure that I can throw the ball over the linebacker, under the free safety, where I got to put that ball on a dime so that corner doesn't get there. I don't have to worry about all that. I don't have to worry that, you know what, I know that my left tackle, to your point, isn't right now up to speed, so I've got to get this ball out a little bit quicker because I know this first-round draft pick of a defensive end is going to be barreling down my neck. Trevor Lawrence doesn't have to worry about those things because he's got the best of everything at his disposal. Well, now you're going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, now you got to truly go ahead and now you got to lead everything. Not going to have the best 
play caller within a Dabo Sweeney in, in the uh, in in the NFL. You're not going to have the best. You're not going to have the upper echelon, better receivers. Uh, uh, as far as going against the DBs, your running back is not going to be head and shoulders better than the linebackers he's going against. You're not going to have that stout offensive line that you know is going to give you a lot of time. You're not going to have the better team. So guess what? Now it's more on your shoulders. And when you go looking at Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer's track record is, it is stellar. It's pretty much unblemished. He wins everywhere he goes. But aside from Nick Saban, I'd probably say Urban Meyer, probably the second best coach, college coach of this generation. What happened to Nick Saban when he tried the NFL? Didn't work. And what I'm saying is college coaches that have stayed in college for so long, they have they have success with a lot of it based on fear because hey if you don't do what I tell you we got another five star recruit that we can go ahead and just put right in your place and we'll still go ahead and pump out these top ten performances playing the uh, college football playoff game so you can operate with the players off of fear you get to the NFL you got to convince rich players like myself to follow you and it can't be based on fear that's why Lane Kiffin didn't work with us. I'll be honest with you. That's why it didn't work. So how can you convince this rich player? He's 25, 26, 27 years old, makes five, six million a year. How can you convince him to go ahead and follow you? That's where the true essence of being a great coach comes in. So all I'm simply saying for Trevor Lawrence, yeah, great player, fantastic career in Clemson. But in his, in his rookie campaign, his, throughout his rookie contract in Jacksonville. I don't think there will ever be a time where he has a plethora of the better players on his side of the ball than who they're going against. So we're going to truly see how good Trevor Lawrence really is. Not just, okay, we know he's a good player. Obviously, that's why he's number one overall pick. But there's always the backside of how is he going to play without this bevy of talent around him. So that's why, like I said, they come out the gate 0-2. Let's be honest, Dennis. <laughs> what is the media going to do? Jacksonville comes out the gate 0-2, 0-3, or something like that. And Trevor Lawrence has a 62 completion percentage. He throws two touchdowns and, let's say, four picks throughout his first three games. What are we going to say in the media if they come out the gate 0-2, 0-3? What are we going to say? He ain't ready and it's the same old Jaguars. Exactly. And then guess what? You got two choices. It was a player. I remember my first uh, preseason game against San Francisco 49ers when I was an Oakland Raider. Didn't play well at all. The media came down on me. Oh, my God. Yeah, second-round pick. He's, he's not ready. He's a project, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You got two choices. You either going to lean into what they say and accept it, or you going to do what? You're going to want to stay with me. You're going to want to pr- prove it. Exactly. And guess what? That's where the burn comes from. Good question. Dennis, hey, Dennis, I know we can do this for hours. <laughs> that is good stuff, Stanford. Really, really good stuff. And for Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer, it's all going to get going yeah. next Thursday night with the NFL draft. All right, Stanford, great stuff as always. And Raider Nation, that's going to do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by Bet Online AG. Now, next week, because of the draft, we're going to take the week off and we're going to come back the following week and we'll have a podcast recapping the Raiders draft class. So look for that to drop 
on Tuesday, May the 4th. From a partner or Stanford rep, I'm Dennis Ackerman. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And may all your punts find the coffin corner. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.